morning. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. It's a great privilege uh, for us today and cause for rejoicing to get to be a part of a baptismal service. And as a church, we witness and we say amen uh, to the public profession of faith of Isaac Garvin today. Uh, that his faith is in Jesus. His love, his hope is found in Jesus. And he's made that commitment to follow Jesus. And so we say amen. And I thought it would be appropriate for in our time in the Word today, we would think about and study about and focus on believers' baptism and consider these two things. Why we baptize and what does it mean? Why we baptize and what does it mean? Romans chapter 6. and Actually, this is one of the uh, difficult passages on baptism, but there's some beautiful things there and some things that all Christians don't agree on necessarily, but uh, we're going to study some of these things today. Why we baptize and what does it mean? So let's read together Romans 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might walk in newness of life. For if we have become you with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. Death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives... He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why do we practice, as a church, believers' baptism? Before we get into the significance, or some of the significance, of baptism, it's helpful to point out something in our text, which it's there, but maybe we would be quick to overrun it because there's a lot going on in that passage. But it is also explicit in dozens and dozens of other scriptures. And it's this, that the church in the Bible practiced believers' baptism. The church is constituted of individuals who placed their faith in Christ Jesus and then were baptized. So even we as a New Testament church, a local congregation of believers, we believe that in the faith in Jesus... And then the of that profession of faith through believers' baptism is a necessary thing before someone can rightly be said to be a member of Christ's body, and therefore we make it a requisite to become a member of this church. So here we are in this passage, and we find this, that those who believed in Jesus were baptized, and the church baptized those who believed in Jesus. Look in our passage again in verse 3, and you'll notice... He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus 
So he's talking to the church. He's, he's, he's talking to believers there in Rome, speaking to us in our day. And there is an assumption that all of you reading this as a member of the church, as part of the body of Christ, have experienced baptism. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized three times in this passage, there is a reference explicitly to the experience of some sort of baptism. The experience of baptism. Baptism comes from a Greek word, word baptizo. That's pretty easy. Baptizo. So you can see where we got that from. It can mean a, a range of things. It can mean, mean washed. It can mean dipped or immersed into water. Ceremonial cleansing. But also it can be used in a, in a metaphorical sense of being whelmed or overwhelmed by something. For instance, you can be baptized into suffering. You can be overwhelmed by suffering. But, by and large, the normal meaning is we flip through the pages of the Bible when baptism is used most of the time. It's talking about being immersed in water. So I would just say this to you. The New Testament church baptized people who believed in Jesus. This religious practice called baptism, actually it's not just a Christian practice. It can be a fairly generic word. A lot of religions will use baptism, and so they're not all the same. It's a generic term. But when we speak about Christian baptism, it has a very specific meaning, and I want to walk you through some of these things as we see it unfold in the New Testament so that you can know that what we're doing here today is not abnormal. In fact, it falls right in line with what we learn in the pages of Scripture. And we can start back in Matthew 3. Don't turn there, but this opening book of the Gospels here in the New Testament, Matthew 3, right in the beginning. This is really the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Matthew chapter 3. We're introduced to this interesting cat named John the Baptist. Alright, so Baptists have been around a long time, haven't they? John the Baptist, he was baptizing people who would come to him down to the Jordan River, and John said this, now, this is the forerunner of Jesus. This is the one that's preparing the way. So he's closely tied with Jesus. Here is John the Baptist. And he says, I baptize you, Matthew 3.11, with water for repentance. Now, it has a specific meaning for John. I'm baptizing you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And I'm not even fit to remove his sandals. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John the Baptist says, I'm baptizing you with water, really with water only. And the meaning of this baptism is that you're repenting. You, you are saying, I want to turn to God, turn away from sin and turn to God. He said, but there's coming one right after me that I'm preparing the way for. He's going to also baptize you. But listen to this, not just with water, not only with water, but with a spirit baptism and with fire. So John the Baptist, his baptism is in water, and it means something very specific. Now, later in the, in the New Testament, what we're going to find is, as the New Testament church is doing baptism, they are not going to see John the Baptist's baptism as being enough. It is not truly Christian baptism. It's kind of pre-Christian baptism. Now, it is the baptism that Jesus is going to do. We'll look at this here in just a minute. But even as the disciples and the apostles and the missionaries are planting churches, they go and they find some people and they say, yeah, we're, we're baptized, we're believers. What baptism have you experienced? Well, it was John the Baptist. They said, no, that's not what we're doing. And so 
with baptism, we have to recognize that just going into a pool of water in some religious context does not constitute true, full Christian baptism. Okay? So, so, so the meaning, what is said and what is explained and what is being told over and to the participant actually makes a difference. It, it means something. And so what you'll find at various times is that people who have gone through the waters of baptism in some place or a point in time may come to a conviction and says, that is not really what I find in the New Testament happening. And so you will see them possibly be truly baptized, New Testament baptized. So John says there's one coming and he's going to do a baptism for you that's greater than what I'm doing. John's baptism is different than Jesus' baptism. But right after that, we see Jesus coming down to the waters and John the Baptist, he says, I can't baptize you. I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to do this. It's, it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. This is the Father's plan for me. Even though Jesus never knew sin, he had never sinned. There was nothing for him to repent from. Jesus is identifying himself now with what is going on in John's ministry. That is, that people are moving in the right direction towards God when they are baptized for repentance. It's just a, it's a symbol. It's an identifying with this move of, hey, we need to be made right with God. And Jesus comes and he is baptized, even though he had no need of salvation or repentance. So, really interesting. Baptized in the New Testament, usually when we see it in a very physical sense, it's done in water. All right? Baptism doesn't always mean that someone is immersed in water, but usually that's what it means. Usually that's what we see. And we see very clearly, where are they? They're down at the Jordan River. They're at a body of water and someone is immersed in that water. But closely affiliated and associated with someone going into the waters of baptism is a spiritual work going on, something that we can't see. All right, so, so Jesus is going to baptize with spirit, an internal, eternal baptism that you won't be able to. To see. So Jesus' ministry is affiliated with John the Baptist. We can flip ahead to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. So the start of Jesus' ministry, he's baptized. He says, this is a part of what I'm doing. At the end of his earthly ministry, Matthew 28, the Great Commission is given. And what does Jesus tell his followers to do? He says, now I want you to go. And I want you to make other learners or disciples or followers of me. I want you to go and, and call people to repentance and to faith in me, and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Tell them about the fullness of God. Make sure that you don't give them a lopsided story. Make sure they understand who God is, who I am, and about the Holy Spirit. He says, so go and make disciples and baptize them in that name, in my name. And to baptize in my name, Jesus says, is to explain and to say in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's what Jesus told his disciples to do right before he ascends into heaven. And that is exactly what the church did. For one time they got it right. They went and did what Jesus said. And so you can flip ahead to Acts chapter 2, which would be the next little episode in the story that we were looking at last week about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit comes and gives them this emboldened, empowered witness 
to where they preach about Jesus clearly and full of the Spirit. And that happens in Acts 2. And at the end of his sermon, Peter, full of the Spirit, there's all of this huge crowd. It's like a Billy Graham crusade. There's this big stadium full, even though there's not a stadium. And, 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 and he says this, Acts 2.38. Now they're, now they're cut to the heart. They believe that this Jesus they have crucified is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the reigning Lord of the universe. And they say, what do we need to do? And Peter says, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness or remissions of your sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know what they did? They said, that's what we want to do. We believe in Jesus. And they were baptized. And as many as were saved and baptized were added to the church. Alright, so we see them doing that. Here's another great episode in the book of Acts. You can flip ahead if you want to look at it. Acts 8, verse 35 through 38. So now, the apostles are going in. And the witness is just not right there for the Jews. They're going out as missionaries. God is sending them places. And here is Philip, this evangelist. Philip meets this Ethiopian eunuch who is in the royal court, if you will, as a man of means. And, and, and he's studying and reading in his chariot about the Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures in the book of Isaiah. But he doesn't know the fulfillment. He doesn't really know what he's studying. Who is this Messiah? And Philip comes and he preaches about Jesus is him. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross, was buried and rose again on the third day. That's the Messiah. He's come to fulfill all of those ancient prophecies. And He's calling men and women everywhere to believe on Him and receive eternal life. And somewhere in the mix, it is very obvious that baptism is associated with that message. How do we know? Because they're tooling down the road. Here's Philip and here's the Ethiopian eunuch going down the road and he's preaching this message and the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey look, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So I would just say to you that the message of baptism, the ordinance of baptism, is tied closely with the gospel proclamation. So much so that Philip says, this is an important thing. Christians are those who repent and believe and are baptized. And so the Ethiopian eunuch says, what? Not to be crude or anything. Not, not, there's a sprinkling pool. Now there's a drop of water, but there is a body of water. What prevents me from being baptizo, immersed, submerged in that water as part of my profession of faith? Philip says, here's the only thing that's preventing you. You got to take a membership class. No, I'm sorry. I didn't say that. <laughs> you have to pass a catechism. He doesn't say that. He says, here's the one thing that is the prerequisite. For believers, baptism. Anybody want to guess what it is? You've got to believe. And he says, you've got to believe with all of your heart, then you may be baptized. That's the prerequisite. You have to have faith, true faith, in your heart. And those who give rise to that, those who say, I believe in Jesus. He says, I'm going to baptize you. Right here, on the spot. And he does so. So, you know what this is called? Believers' baptism. Why do we practice believers' baptism? Now, I don't think you would mind me telling you, uh, because this is probably something that many of you have experienced, as I have as well. Part of Isaac's testimony is, and some of you may have been here, when he went through those waters as a young child, around age seven. 
But the Lord had been working in Isaac's life. And through the counsel of his parents and different things that he was hearing and experiencing, and the Lord was working, and he came to the realization, I wasn't truly saved. I, I didn't understand enough to truly believe, even though I went through those waters. And he came to the conviction, number one, I need to be eternally secure and have my salvation. I need to know that I'm saved. So he got that right. And then he said, and I also know that baptism is for believers. Now, I've told y'all before that I was also baptized around age six or seven. Well, I, I said I came to church and got a bath. It wasn't believer's baptism. You know why? Because I, I didn't even understand what I was doing. I think I had the fear of the Lord. I was scared to death of a place called hell. But I didn't really know Jesus. I had not with my heart professed Jesus as Lord. And so I didn't do that until several decades later. But you know what I said was, well, man, who cares what order you do it in, right? I went through the waters and called it baptism. And then I got saved. God, let's just say that's good enough, right? Well, the problem is that's not baptism. What we see is when you believe and profess, then you're baptized. And so at a later point, I said, you know what? I need to get that right. And I too then experienced true baptism just as Isaac did today. And so it's in that order. You know, here recently, oh, in the last couple of months, we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights. You know, we've been praying for a revival and God is stirring and, and there's been a church out, I think it's called Long Hollow Baptist Church, a church out in Tennessee. It's a big church. It's a mega church. Get a lot of people already. Get a lot going. They know they write books and they do all of this stuff. But, but God has been stirring in what I would call revival. And so much so that they were doing some baptisms. And the pastor said he just felt like the Lord called him to open up that day and call for anybody who needed to be baptized scripturally as part of their public profession of their faith in Jesus. They baptized a thousand. And he said, a lot of that was people never been through the waters. They had never been saved, but they were saved right there. A lot of it was people who, like me, had it out of order and said, you know what? I'm going to do it the way God says. Do you remember that story of that high-ranking official in the Old Testament who comes to the Old Testament prophet and he's, he's got leprosy? And, and he says, you know, I've come here in hopes that you can heal me. I, I heard you're a great man of God. And I got told the prophet to tell him, I said, yeah, go, go and dip in that old dirty river seven times. And the guy is incensed. He's angry. He wanted the prophet to wave his hands, say some kind of magic incantation or something like that. He said, I mean, isn't there something? Can't you anoint me with oil? Can't you do something a little more sophisticated? We've got a lot cleaner creeks back where I came from. Why would I want to go and dip in that old dirty river in Israel seven times? That's what God told you to do. You want to be healed, go do it the way God told you to do it. And it's an interesting thing. The guy wasn't healed until what? Seventh time. When he did it as God had prescribed it. Now, was that a magic incantation? Was that something we're to do today? No, here's the thing. He acted in obedience and faith. An obedience that was motivated by faith to do it like God said to do it. And so we see that 
Baptism is for believers, and it was practiced in the New Testament church just like Jesus told them to do it. And for 2,000 years, though the churches, you know, they've kind of gotten it wrong at times, they've slipped away from the New Testament teaching. And why we're called Baptists today is because there came a point in the Reformation where there were people that convicted about, we need to give back to the Bible. The church had gotten so far and just started coming up with stuff on their own and doing this kind of baptism, but we're not doing baptism at all, to the point where, I mean, it was all some sort of salvation by hocus pocus and works, not by faith. And the reformers said, well, we're going to study the scripture and we're going to do church and do Christianity like the Bible says. And they came to this point where there was a whole lot of people who had been sprinkled by the Catholic church as babies. And they came to the point and they said, man, we're just following it through like the Bible says. And they came to the conviction that the Bible says baptism is by immersion after you have believed. And so in the Baptist part of the Reformation anyway, what you had, you had these, I think it was three guys. I can't remember the names. Maybe Blau Rock. And I don't know. I don't know. It's been a long time since church history. But what, what you had was these guys going, we need to be baptized. Scripturally. Believers' baptism. Who's going to do it? Well, I can't do it. I haven't been baptized. And no one around. And so they had to kind of draw straws to figure out who's going to do the first baptism. And that one did that one. And that one did that one. Well, the Catholic Church, I mean, they were tore up about this. Because it went against their tradition. And, and so it goes on. The, the moniker of Baptist, or Dunkards, they were called. The Dunkards. They were the people who go out in the water and dunk people. It was a derogatory term. And this became such a thing that they even, that is, those who were in the, in the, uh, in the Catholic Church, those who were you know, traditionalists and doing their thing, they were upset about what was going on in the Reformation. And they started persecuting these people. I'm just calling them names. They started killing some of them. And they thought it would be funny to kill some of them by drowning them in water. <laughs> Church history. It's fascinating. But we're Baptists. And where that comes from is this idea, you know what? This is what God has told us to do in the way he's told us to do it. So we're going to do it that way. And so we practice believers' baptism. Now, Baptists aren't the only ones who do that, by the way. You understand that. What is the spiritual significance or meaning of baptism? Well, here in verses 3 and 4, we find this. Water baptism is associated then also with spiritual realities. This one that's coming after John the Baptist is Jesus. He's going to baptize with spirit. That is, there is a spiritual goings-on that maybe we're not privy to seeing. And so there is a spiritual reality. And it says in verses 3 and 4 that the spiritual reality that is going on in and around someone's salvation and their water baptism is that they are being, we are being baptized into Jesus' death. Being baptized into Jesus' death. And it actually says that we're buried with Him. We are united with Christ in His death through baptism. Now, I told you this is a little bit of a sticky passage. There are those that believe that actually in the waters, that's what saves you when you are baptized. And this is one of the places that they get that. And so it's a little bit of a difficult uh, verse. The book of Romans is fairly difficult as a whole because it says we've been buried with Jesus through baptism. So we're, we're stuck scratching our heads and saying, what does baptism actually accomplish? Or are we saved? In, the, in that baptism? Or is that just a later symbol of what's going on as being 
buried with Jesus? Does the water actually accomplish our salvation? Is that where we're united with Christ? Let me say this. Long story short. Short answer. I think the best way to understand how this occurs and what is the connection is to understand this. That that baptism, just like what you saw today, is an outward expression of our faith. It is our faith in Jesus Christ that unites us with Him. The spiritual uniting with Christ takes place because even in Romans, just the previous chapter, he says this, you are saved by faith. It's your faith that justifies. But listen to this. Faith, the Bible says, motivates us. It moves us. It causes us to do things. You can think about all of the Old Testament examples of people, they believed God, they acted in faith. I believe that water baptism, when it is accompanied by the precursor of true faith in Jesus, I think that what we need to see is that is an act of faith. It is not an act of works. It is not an additional thing that we add on to our faith. No, 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 no. It is the product of our saving faith. That's, that's, and so we believe that baptism is an act of faith. It symbolizes a lot of things, but one of the things it symbolizes is that we believed in Jesus. We believed in Him so much so that when He says you need to be baptized, we say, okay. Okay. I'll do that because you have said so. And I believe in you. You're my master. You're my Lord. It is the outworking of our faith. I'll give you someone you can look up on your own. A guy named Douglas Moo and his commentary on the book of Romans. I'm going to read you this little paragraph. This, I think, pretty helpful. He says this. It can be said thus that we were buried with Him, that is Jesus, through baptism into His death. What Paul means by this is not that our baptism simply symbolizes in submergence under the water, Christ's death and burial. For Paul makes clear that we were buried with Him not just like Him. He is saying, rather, that our faith, symbolized by baptism, puts us into relationship with Christ's own burial. Moo is saying this, rather than seeing baptism as just some symbol that we do. You see, if it's only a symbol, then I'll tell you what it is. It's expendable. But if it is associated with our faith, our saving faith, then we say it's necessary. Does it save us? No. But it is the outworking of our saving faith. Alright? And what are we having faith in? What is it we're believing? We're believing in His death. Jesus died once for all. That those who are united with Him might not taste the condemnation and the wrath of God but we're trusting in the death of Jesus that He died on our behalf. So the death is no longer victorious over us. We believe that Christ's death is sufficient for all of our sins. He has paid the penalty for our sins. And so, man, we want to be joined with Him. We want to be right there with Him. We want to walk in His shadow and let death fall on Him. And He will carry us safely into eternity. We're trusting in His death. And so, in that baptism, we said, 
buried in his likeness unto death. It's into Christ's death that we're being baptized and raised to walk in new life. If we believe that Jesus died for our sins, you know what else we believe? That he rose again. And that his resurrection is ours. And so baptism is a symbol of our faith that we believe that Jesus died for us and that he was raised for us. And that we too, just like him, will experience resurrection and eternal life. You know what? We don't believe in a dead martyr. We believe in a living Savior named Jesus who has overcome death and the grave. You know, death is all around us. It is the great enemy, and Jesus has overcome that enemy. And so, baptism is a symbol of our faith, that we believe in Jesus' death for our, on our behalf, and His resurrection is ours too. It shows that we believe in that, and it signifies that. But there's one other piece here that I need to mention. He talks about baptism signifying the death of the old self. A dying to sin, in fact, Romans 6 is largely about the question about Christians and their approach to sinning. And he says this, Do you not know that we who were baptized, we die with Jesus. That old Sean Milligan, that old Isaac Garvin is gone. The one who was in bondage to sin and to death and who was under condemnation and the wrath of God, that person is gone. Did you know that the Bible says that apart from Christ, all of the world is in bondage to sin? Enslaved to darkness. Did you know that? That's a pretty grim prognosis. That apart from Christ, sin has you in shackles. You are bound, and you're not free to righteousness. But Christ comes, and we believe in Him. And there is actually a spiritual change of heart and of soul, and we become something brand new when we're saved. Now listen to this. The one who's coming after me will baptize you with spirit and with fire. Jesus when we trust in Him and we're saved, when we place our faith in Him, we are immersed and overwhelmed and filled with the Holy Spirit of God who purifies us. Fire is purification. And we get changed. We get set free. And I think a lot of Christians walk around still thinking they're in bondage. Still living like the old self. Still, I tell you, I mean, this is rampant today. Christians walking outside of the victory and the purity that Christ wants us to walk in. Paul says those chains are broken. Those shackles have been unlocked. That prison door has opened for you if you will walk in the power of the Spirit. You are not bound to sin. You have victory. It's amazing. The grace of God purifies changes us and gives us brand new life. And so, baptism, that's really the other picture. There is the picture of being united with Christ in His death so that we will not taste death in the same way that we would apart from Christ. We are promised a newness of life, being raised, but also you know it's water. And water generally has a cleansing, purifying 
effect. Being united with Jesus has that same effect. You are made new. Hey, maybe you're here today and, and, and you're bound by feelings of condemnation and guilt from things that you have done. It's actually sins that you've committed. You know what? Christ died and His blood is sufficient to cover every sin if you trust in Him. Did you know that? Did you know that you can be cleansed and made whole and made new and set free? And you can walk out that door today by faith. White as snow. Trusting in the blood of Jesus. There is no reason for you to leave this place under condemnation. No reason. Much more can be said about baptism. Much of what I said could probably be said more clearly. But it's a beautiful passage. And I just wanted to talk with you today and celebrate these realities that are ours when we have faith in Jesus. All who have been baptized. That signifies, I think, both the spiritual baptism and the outward act of faith baptism. You can know you are a new creation. That Jesus has tasted death for you and he lives that you might live and you are free from the bondages of sin. So here's my question for you today. You ready? Here is water. What is preventing you from believing on Jesus and expressing your faith in those waters. What is it? I'm, I'm always amazed, you know, and again, I struggled with this for years. Most of us take a bath every day or a shower when we get wet. We have no problem with that. Not some of you. There are people that will, will toil with this decision right here for decades. And I love it with the Philip and the Ethiopian unit just driving down the road. <laughs> this is Jesus. I gotta have him. I gotta be saved. There's water. What's preventing me? What's preventing you? What's preventing you? Would you bow with me? As we have a time of response and invitation, I'm just gonna ask you if you're here today, and either today or previous day, you have placed your faith. You have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. You've done it today or previous day. But since that day, you have never expressed your faith in obedience to the Lord through baptism. Would you come up to the front today? Just come and make it public. Don't, don't sit around. Don't wait around. If you need to do that, what is preventing you? Is it your pride? You have to die to that pride. You have to die to the old self. Part of the repentance, that's part of faith. What is it? What prevents you from being baptized? So I'm just going to call you forward. If you're here today, we don't have to go through the waters today, but if you want to, we can. Anybody? I'm not going to wait around. What's preventing you? Is there anybody who needs to be obedient and express your faith through that obedience through baptism? Believer's baptism. You need to get it in the right order. And it could also be that 
you've experienced some sort of religious act in the water, but there was no clarity, or maybe there was wrong theology, you were taught that it saved you, that that act was a work that saved you, maybe it was just some sort of religious thing you did because you felt guilty, but you didn't know about Jesus. That's not baptism, so let's get it right. Let's have it be believer's baptism. Is there anyone here? Don't wait long. Anybody? Lord, I thank you today as we celebrate what you have done for us, for this new life that is ours, simply by faith in the Lord Jesus, that he died for us according to the scriptures. As the lamb who was slaughtered, that his blood might atone and cover over our every sin. And I thank you that you accepted that sacrifice and you proved it by raising him from the dead, giving him a resurrected body, bringing him to your right hand, and allowing him to rule and reign and to gather citizens of the kingdom. And I thank you that you have made us citizens, sons and daughters of your family, of your kingdom. And Lord, that you have given us this gift of the Holy Spirit, who is powerful to totally transform us from the inside out, to change our lives. To give us new loves and new hopes and new thoughts and new things to do. And give us a sense of love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and self-control, long-suffering, all of these things. Lord, and that you're doing that work in us. And I pray today for myself and for those who are of the same mind and heart here today. Lord, we want to lay down things of the old self. Lay aside sin and walk in this newness of life. God, would you help us by your Spirit to know and to rejoice in the fact that we are forgiven. We are saved. And I thank you for Isaac who has come in obedience to this work of your Spirit in his life and to the promise of salvation. And I pray that you would fill him up with your Spirit. Use him as a witness, a bold witness, right there in his school and all of the days of his life. And use him to be a lighthouse, a witness for you. And help us as a church to walk in that alongside of him and their family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just a couple of things.